All right, so let's talk a little bit about the markets here. Welcome to Bull Bear Radio. Market pricing is nuts. Each week, we catch up with WBI's experts, Matt and Don Schreiber. Down 77%. You know what you need to recover from that? A miracle. WBI brings you wealth building market insights. Hi, I'm Matt Schreiber, and this is Bull Bear Radio. I got Don Schreiber here. Don, how's it going? It's going good, Matt. Going real good. Market keeps going up. Dow 23,000 just keeps going up. Like the sun. The sun comes up in the morning. Every single day. The markets go up. Yeah. Can you say Dow 24,000? Every single day. 24,000. What'd you just say? No, it's easy. 24,000. 24,000. Wow. It's only up like 4% from here. I know. That's not that much, actually. Because it's, again, it's compounding on a on a bigger number, right? So you don't need that much return to get to 24,000. Crowded trading to indexes will take us there, man. Crowded trade. All right. So people piling into those passive indexes. Holy moly. We're right at the beginning of earnings season here. So, you know. we got some companies reporting, and so far this earnings season, Don, you know, give it to me. What's it look like so far? So <clears throat> on June 30th, we were expecting 7.5% growth rate. That's that's nice. That's, a, that's yeah. a healthy growth rate. Yeah, unfortunately, that was revised down so that at the beginning of earnings season, we were only at 2.8%. And Chainsaw Don! Oh, my goodness. Chainsaw back. He's back again. <laughs> So uh, 80, first week, 81% of companies, you know, those big blue chips, the really strong companies report first. 81% of companies. Yeah, yeah it's 81% the biggest, beat expectations. The biggest companies are reporting. Okay. Yeah. So, and then, so what is it now? As we go along in earnings season, the uh, reports tend to get a little bit weaker. So second week, 76% of the companies okay. report beating expectation that's a slowdown not a big deal 76 percent of s&p 500 companies reported positive earnings per share surprises 72 percent reported positive sales surprises and that's also down week over week the big number let's talk about the flash number earnings growth rate though the flash number the earnings so far the earnings growth on a blended basis instead of being 2.8 which is what is expected it's only 1.7 Wow, wow, wow. And six six quarters are reporting earnings growth for the quarter. Uh, energy's the the clear winner here. And why is that, Don? Well, energy is a clear winner on, um, you know, uh, a, as a, a sector. But, you know, the, the material sector is the one that I think is exciting. You know, we're, we're value investors. Yeah, but you know, why, it's kind of like, where's my just, cheese? Just everybody. I want to find the value. The, to, to answer the question, though. Why energy so good right now? Because they're comparing against earnings that were dramatically lower and negative because oil prices fell below 30. Right. So the earnings power wasn't there. So the sales growth for them has been huge over the last couple of quarters, which have had led to now nice earnings earnings growth this particular quarter. You, you get all excited about that until you realize that you're comparing against something, you know, the earnings and revenue growth trends. They fell down the elevator shaft, they hit bottom, and they had a dead cat bounce. And that's about where we are. 
So, you know, it depends on what you're comparing against. And we're going so to we're going to see that you coming wanted, up. You wanted to talk about materials. So, why materials? Why are you so excited Don about materials right well, now? Well, I like the idea of materials starting to get uh, a little bit firmer and uh, companies doing better. You know, uh well, materials should do better just based on that. We There has to be such a rebuilding effort in uh, the Houston metro area, in, uh, you know, Florida, in, in Puerto Rico. I'm sure we'll be, you know, shipping some materials. You bet. So uh, you, you have hurricane effect to the uh, rebuilding. But you also have a little bit of a firming of global GDP, which has allowed material companies to do a little bit better. And so that's a good thing. So if we can get... A faster-growing economy, material companies are going to look pretty good. Absolutely. So, you know, let's talk about uh, information technology was the second best, uh, you know, uh, earnings growth of the sectors, up 9% for earnings growth. Do you like Infotech here? Sure. Infotech is, an, is a sector that we, we have quite a few uh, names in, surprisingly enough. Many of these companies that used to be only growth companies are now paying dividends, so we can participate. Especially semiconductors. We've yeah. had, had uh, names in the semiconductor space quite frequently. Sure. Over a long period of time. And they tend to be doing well. So if they have a higher level of earnings growth, you can bet that uh, money's capital is going to flow to those uh, companies. Their stock prices are going to do better than average. Ah, we like those kind okay, of so investments. Okay, so this is real concerning. So I'm concerned here. I don't know if you're concerned, but we'd love to find out if you're concerned as much as I'm concerned because being concerned about this seems like it should be something that we're concerned about. Financials. What, what was that? <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> so, you know, the financial you know, fi financials actually yeah. have reported – the worst earnings decline of all sectors down 10% so far year over year this earnings season. Is that is that bad? It is bad. Am I nuts or is that really bad? But the biggest effect. Maybe I'm nuts. The biggest effect on that down earnings growth rate was Wells Fargo, which has problems other than what, you know, uh, a normal business in the banking sector is having. They've got all kinds of issues. Every regulatory unit seems to be under scrutiny at the moment. It's, yeah, they got problems. So the, the you know, investment banking division, and then you know they fired you know four forex guys. I mean, it's just not opening up you know fake bank accounts at the moment, which it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse for Wells Fargo here. Yeah, but, I'm, I'm glad this, I'm, I'm. This isn't just Wells Fargo. This is the whole sector. Yeah, I'm glad I'm not managing their PR uh, campaign, but <clears throat> the whole sector has been soft because. Even though the Fed has been uh, marching higher on interest rates, they've been doing quantitative low, tightening. low interest rates are really bad for banking. Interest rates go up a little bit every time they raise rates, but then they keep settling back towards 2% on the 10-year. And there's no margin in banking. You know, with interest rates as low, their margins are, are challenged. And so we're seeing some challenging earnings. In addition to that, the regulatory environment has been so harsh uh, under the prior administration, that um, many of the banking businesses have been shuttered and pushed off, you know, as uh, revenue growth trends. And some of these were, you know, the best areas of banking. And so they're left with a low margin consumer lending type business or, or corporate lending type business. And I think I'm very hopeful that some of that overregulation is uh, taken uh, out to the woodshed. And we can get banks back to functioning the way they 
out to the woodshed. Let's cut it down. <laughs> cut that regulation out. Give me that chainsaw. And <clears throat> give it to you all day long, chainsaw. <laughs> that. You know? What we need to do is we need to, uh, you know, chop some of that stuff out of the. Uh, Ch- chop the dead wood out of the regulatory. Yeah, infrastructure it's too much. Here. It's, it's so, just it, too it, much. It's, it's killing, killing it. Killing the banking system. The banking system, the financial system, represents about. Um, 16% of the economy. So this is a really important factor in terms of economic growth. If we can get the banking sector um, healthier than what it has been, we're going to have faster economic growth. We've okay. got to get rid of that regulatory overhang that we have. So ener- it's choking up the system. So choking up the system. Energy earnings were up 119% so far. Sales growth, they're the leader in sales growth, only 17%. Is that a, a warning sign of things to come for energy earnings, though, next quarter? No, I think it's, it's going to be okay. I think energy continues to uh, do well. If we get enough growth, we don't have enough growth yet, but if we can get enough growth so that energy prices stabilize in that you know, uh, $50 uh, a barrel range, uh, companies have actually made improvements to their technology enough so that they can actually make money at 50 bucks a barrel so in the united states so you're one of your favorite sectors materials doing great so far um the material sector is reporting the second highest revenue growth of all sectors up 12.6 percent there you go so that's hopeful that's hopeful for the economy it's hopeful for companies in the material sector it sounds good for manufacturing in general so you really like this sector on a go forward basis and and the the strong sales here so far this earnings season would would point to earnings being pretty good maybe in q4 as well so one of the other things is you know being a value investor i want to make sure that we're in the right sectors right and so we've talked about uh really three sectors here energy materials and information technology there are three other sectors out of 11 that look to have positive earnings expectations for the quarter and we need to talk about those but the, before we uh gloss so let's, oh, let's before talk we to them. before Let, we gloss over this point last quarter we had nine sectors out of 11 82 percent of 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 the economy reporting positive earnings that's off to only six at 55 percent now of companies across the economy are going to report an expected earnings increase that is also a worrying trend but what are those other three sectors that are that are looking like they're going to post some earnings uh positive earnings momentum i don't know talk to me tom so the three sectors that we're looking for that uh you know, our possible investments are healthcare, consumer discretionary, and telecom. Interesting, telecom all year long has been a negative earnings expectation. All of a sudden, it moved positive. They're doing a little bit better than expected. You know, and that's an area that we kind of like because it's Hopefully got— Hopefully, it stays that way. Hey, man, it's cheap. It's cheap, and it's got really high dividends. Well, let's talk about cheap for a second. The whole market seems to be fully valued, overvalued even. You take a look at forward PEs, according to FactSet, and you're at 17.9. Five-year average is 15.6, and the 10-year, let's check this out. The 10-year average for forward PEs, 14.1. Are you kidding me? Hey, listen. You can fourteen point one, and we're at seventeen point nine. If anybody right now? out there has been listening, they know that earnings 
PE multiples are indicating that the markets aren't cheap, that they're really pricey. And, you know, there's this misinformation and out Bloomberg's there. And Bloomberg's got it around 20. There's this misinformation out there that low interest rates justify a high PE multiple. Now and that's, 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 that's garbage, that's in my only, opinion. That but. is only true if low interest rates are influencing and giving you a high GDP growth rate. Which and, we don't have. We, we don't have that. We know GDP has been challenging. Speaking of which, you know, you sent me an article about uh, a couple of days ago uh, about China and the People's Bank of oh, China. Let's not talk about China. Wh- why not? Because China's got problems. That's a mess over there. So you sent me this article. What were, what were they? Uh, something about debt and uh, market market crashing. Look, you know, a while ago. At the um, IMF meeting, yes, the chairman of the People's Bank of China, who is going to retire soon, decided to let people know that they have a problem, potentially a debt crisis emerging, an unsustainable level of debt, and it could cause a market meltdown. He indicated that it was a Minsky moment, which was really referring to the 2015 flash crash that we experienced, if he's expecting the market opened down 10% in the first half an hour of trading. You know, if something happens like that in China, that might leave a mark on the rest of the world. So you, we're going to break right here. Uh, sorry to leave you with such depressing news. I mean, earnings season, you know, not looking half bad. I told you. Don't, well, don't not, ask me about oh, China. Jeez, man. All right. So, so we'll be back in just a second. Are you worried about bonds? WBI has an active ETF focused on generating high current yield that helps to promote compounding and is designed to protect capital during market declines and participate in market advances. The WBI Tactical Income ETF, ticker WBII, can be a great tool to pair with passive ETFs to help reduce down market correlation, volatility, and loss of capital. Learn more at WBIShares.com. An investment in the fund is subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Investments in fixed income involve risk and may be adversely impacted when interest rates fall because the fund may be exposed directly or indirectly to lower yielding bonds. Investors should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses carefully before investing. For prospectus and summary prospectus, visit WBIShares.com or call 1-800-772-5810. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Foresight Fund Services Distributor. And we're back. So if, if you'd like more insights on a day-to-day basis, check Don and I out. I'm at WBI President on Twitter. Don's uh, handle is WBI CEO. We post a tremendous amount of content to our website and our, in our news and insight section. So you can uh, check us out there at WBIinvestments.com. And so, uh, Don, let's talk a little bit about ETFs, you know. We've uh, we've been a player in the space since 2014 here. We've learned a lot about ETFs. I find that when I go out on the street and I talk to advisors and their clients, uh, as we do often, uh, people really don't know uh, that much about ETFs. They know they want to buy ETFs. They just don't know why. And, um, you know, they don't know that much about them. Let's break it down, Matt. Go go for it. So. I find that a lot of folks don't know that an ETF is actually a mutual fund. It's a 1940 act, you know, uh, from a regulatory structure, mutual fund. It's also 
an individual security because it's exchange it trades listed. like a stock on the exchange. That's and one so thing that makes it big a big difference. It is also covered by the 1933 Act, which is the Individual Security Act. And so it's a hybrid. It's a hybrid mutual fund. It's a hybrid security that's both mutual fund and individual security. And it gives you liquidity. It's, it is a very cool structure. Throughout the, the trading day, the NAV, the NAV, the net asset value for an ETF is actually calculated every 15 seconds throughout the course of a trading day. Unlike a mutual fund where the NAV is calculated at the end of the day once after market close. And and the, uh, they call this the INAV or the indicative net asset value throughout the course of the day. And to really get uh, a good uh, indication, indicative NAV, throughout the day, you need to have the securities trading. So you're... Your ETF is only as liquid as how often those underlying shares are trading. It's not really about the volume you see. Volume is an indication of how liquid potentially the ETF is. That That is true. But what's really important is how often the underlyings are trading throughout the course of a trading day to, to, to give you an accurate picture of how liquid the ETF itself so, is. So the so a, an, an ETF can actually be really liquid, have a tremendous amount of trading capacity, even though it may show an on-screen volume today That's of 5,000 shares. Right, right. But <clears throat> because the underlying securities, let's say it's a large-cap U.S. ETF. It could have no volume on the screen. It could have little volume on the screen, but because the underlying stocks trade in the millions of shares every day, a market maker can go out and buy those underlying securities to create a creation basket. Whoa. Creation basket? Wait, wait for it. Just wait a second. And essentially create an unlimited number of shares so that the security can trade really, maybe it could trade hundreds of thousands or millions of shares, and it really depends on the underlying uh, stocks or bonds that are in the ETF. So Stocks are typically much more liquid than bonds. So the spread, which is the cost to acquire an ETF, could be very tight on an ETF, uh, usually, uh, if you have less volume, your spread will open up. But in this case, if you have volume that is light, but you have spreads that are tight, that could uh, indicate that this could be a liquid ETF as well. Tight's better than wide on an ETF spread, right? So a tight spread is a lot better than a wide spread. Your market You're going to have a wide spread, though, on ETFs that don't have great underlying volume because the market maker has to go out and find shares. And when they have to go out and find shares and find liquidity, that's expensive. And as a result, the spread opens up on screen, correct? So, yes. And market makers hedge their uh, accumulating shares all day long because as they accumulate those shares to create a basket... To create uh, when the he says ETFs. A, when Hold he says a create a basket, a creation unit or a basket 
consists of all of the securities underlying in the fund. So that would be the basket of securities, and that basket of securities is then called what we would say in the business is a creation unit. It's all of the securities needed in that fund to create a share of the ETF. Right, and creation uh, baskets happen when there isn't enough Volume, uh, liquidity. volume or securities that are available on the secondary market exchange. So they have to go make it. So they have to go and create new shares, and new if there's, ETFs. Shares. If there's too many creation units hanging out there or shares hanging out there, then you can do what's called a redemption of those shares. So a create and redeem basket is different. It's one of the things that's unique to the ETF. Could be the same or different. It's different than a mutual fund. Different mutual than a funds mutual do fund, not yes. have creation and redemption. They baskets. have create and destroy, and an ETF has create and redeem. The, one of the reasons, the functional um, uh, reason for that is that an ETF is supposed to trade all day long. A mutual fund only trades at the end of a day. Right. You can't exchange shares out of a mutual fund except for once into or out of a mutual fund, except for once a day. In the creation and redemption basket, one of the unique features of an ETF is that an ETF doesn't have the same tax inefficiencies that a mutual fund does. Now, this is really important. This is really important right now because a lot of mutual fund companies, especially the passive equivalents, are sitting on ginormous gains. that As the markets run here. As the markets have run up over the last five years, and many of them are going to reposition their securities and cause investors who may have only held the fund for a short period of time an inordinate amount of tax consequence. They will have gains in the fund that are far less than the taxable equivalent that they're going to get charged with by the end of the year. That doesn't happen in an ETF. So tax efficiency is a hallmark of ETFs if you buy and hold them. And the tax efficiency comes from that creation and redemption mechanism. And here's how I'll break it down for you. So the redemption mechanism, you have three parties that are they're privy to this transaction. You have the investor who has shares of a WBI ETF, wants to get rid of them, wants their cash back. This is where the magic happens. That ETF, those shares of the ETFs, have to be taken to what's called an authorized participant, which is usually a big you know, investment bank. And the AP will then go to the ETF issuer and says, hey, we've got these you know, shares of your ETF and the investor needs securities back in kind so that we can sell them and create that cash. So what happens to, at the ETF issuer level is that the administrator of the funds goes back into the ETF trust, takes a look at the lowest cost, highest gain shares, and the ETF issuer delivers that back to the authorized participant through a tax-free exchange. What happens is... It's a redemption basket, so it's a prorated share of every security that's held in the fund. So when you sell uh, those, those shares, it thereby reduces the cost basis of the ETF itself, reducing the capital gains burden of the fund. 
So that's a tax-free exchange. Now, creation and redemption, that little loophole exists because creation and redemption is what creates that intraday liquidity potentially in the ETF. So that's not going away anytime soon. Um, so that's where the, the tax efficiency comes. And then the authorized participant will give that cash back after selling the securities back to the investor. And that's how, how the magic happens. So the, so the, just to, just to summarize the, the investor has ETF shares. They want cash. The AP goes to the ETF issuer, issuer. ETF issuer and gets a prorated slice and redeems those shares to cash, gives the issuer back his ETF shares, the investor gets back the cash. That's the round trip, right? That is the round trip. And it can differ a little bit on the redemption side of, of what the ETF issuer can do there. But yeah, that's, that's how the magic happens. So let's talk about cost for a second, because that's another component. So like I said, you have uh, the, the cost to acquire, which is the spread. Uh, however, you know, expense ratios are also a little bit different for ETFs. There's no 12B1 fee. So that makes ETFs right out of the gate a little less expensive typically than the mutual fund counterpart. There's no shareholder accounting. There's no shareholder servicing fees either for all, uh, for, for all ETFs, which also makes them more cost efficient. So, you know, the passive ETFs, like a passive mutual fund can be uh, even more cost effective in a pass in the passive ETF space. Also on the active side, if you're taking a look at active ETFs, they're going to be a little less expensive on the whole typically than the active mutual fund. And that's because you don't have again, 12 B ones or shareholder servicing fees. So actives, there's not as many of them in the ETF space, but if you're looking for active management in the ETF, it could be less expensive than the the active side of mutual funds, right, Don? Absolutely. I got to get on my soapbox for a minute because you know the expense ratio or the expenses that are shown in the prospectus on the expense table are only a part of the total expenses that the investor has to pay to acquire the shares. We often see that the total expense... The same thing would also exist on the mutual fund side as well. You bet. So trading, as an example, is something that is not included in the expense table. The typical or average share uh, is traded for a commission of somewhere around three cents a share which is unbelievably high. And one of the reasons why it does trade at three cents a share is because the investment company many times is getting a soft dollar rebate to pay for research that they're using for investors. But that three cents a share, depending on how much turnover there is in the mutual fund, can add up to significantly more cost than the expense ratio that is shown on the fee table. So it's kind of smoke and mirrors. And that's where tracking error comes in in ETFs. Even if they uh, are supposed to correspond to an index, they're supposed to be identical in terms of returns. You often can oftentimes can see that the returns won't match the index versus the ETF because of this hidden cost. Correct? And this is really true in bond funds. So you'll see this, you know, this year um, over the last few years with um, 
some of the major bond funds where they have an the index itself has a 100 200 basis point per year more return than the equivalent that is supposed to track the index identically because you have to go out and find the bonds and buy them and it's costly yeah well the commission rates on bonds are much higher than they are on equities there's also spread on bonds that are really significant where spreads on um uh, equity shares today are almost de minimis. So I, I'd like to finish the loop, and there's just a couple of things we are, are missing here with ETFs, and we're trying to help everybody out here because this is a it's a very very uh, transparent product too. So you see that uh, the ETF also gives you transparency on a daily basis, so you can look at what's inside your ETF every day. I find that most people don't realize that they can see what's inside the ETF. By, by just going to the issuer's website. It's very easy to see what's in your portfolio uh, every single day. It just may not be as easy when you go online to your brokerage account. Um, so ETFs are liquid, they're transparent, they're exchange listed. Um, the expense is calculated on a daily basis and deducted from uh, and accrued from the, uh, the ETF. It's accrued every day, not deducted every day. But... Um, you know, so so it's a product that's a lot different than a mutual fund, and, and we wanted to get that out there for everybody and kind of break down the differences between the two. And before we uh, get off the topic, there's three buckets, really, of ETFs. There's there's passive, there's smart beta, and there's active. And Don, can you talk a little bit about passive for just a second for us? And, and what what is a passive ETF? What What should people expect from the passive space? So a passive ETF uh, is designed to identically replicate the index, as we just said before. So S&P 500, it would own, if it's a cap-weighted version of the ETF, the S&P 500 pro rata cap-weighted, which means it would be weighted to uh, skew towards the largest companies, correct? Well, definitely, and you're going to have that um, really uh, cap-weighting bias in most ETFs. There are some that are out there that are... Called equal-weighted. Equal-weighted that change the paradigm a little bit. But the key for investors and advisors, I think that's so important, is that you're going to get a symmetrical return profile to the index. In a bull market, it looks great. As the index goes up, so does the underlying product that's tracking the index because that's what those securities are doing. We have this huge crowded trade or crowding effect in these cap-weighted companies. As the index goes higher and it, and it causes investors to chase those returns, they pile into these indexes and the largest cap-weighted stocks become even bigger in the index and the returns are driven even higher because of it. It's a self-fulfilling proposition. The problem with that is when the market reverses trend, they go down faster then they went up. And by the way, Don's speaking to what we've said this many times. There, there's a crowded trade in ETF. So there's two point five trillion dollars invested in equity ETFs. Approximately one point eight trillion is invested in, you know, the United States and in, in, in U.S. listed securities. The top five ETFs account for a third of the one point eight trillion dollars in AUM. That's like mostly S&P 500, uh, Russell 1000, et cetera. It's, it's really invested in U.S. large cap. The top and for the most part, if you look at the cap weighting structure, 
on the Russell 1000 and the S&P 500, the companies that are getting all the money are the They're top, all the same ones. The top cap-weighted stocks, and it's all the same names. The top 10 ETFs in the United States account for almost 50% of the AUM. And if you go to the top 20, it's a trillion dollars, almost a trillion dollars. So it's, it's way more than half of the AUM out there. And there's 700 ETFs that you can choose from in the United States that invest in U.S. equities. So when you're looking at the top 5, 10, 20 ETFs, that's where all the money is, and it's all invested in those biggest companies, as you said. So, you bet. So in 1999, there was a huge crowded trade into the technology sector. The NASDAQ index was the index that had most of the large-cap technology stocks. And we know when that trade broke, the markets declined, but the NASDAQ went down dramatically more than the other large cap weighted index. The S&P was down 50%, but the NASDAQ was down 78%. And so that gives you an indication of how um, important it is to pay attention to these crowded cap weighted trades. And what we see today is that it isn't just one sector like technology that is overvalued, that's getting the money. It's across the board. The entire market is a crowded trade based on the popular index. So let's let's talk quick. That was passive. So let's talk about smart beta real quickly. It, it's been one of the faster growing segments of ETFs in general over the last few years. What's the difference between passive and smart beta? People have been a little bit disappointed so far with smart beta is what I'm hearing on the street. And I think there's good reason for that. But give us why, Don, uh, and, and what, you know, smart beta really is. So s smart beta, for the, for the uh, most part, is, a again, an index tracking product. The index So is, it's not active. It isn't active. It, Typically. It's actually, it's actually rebalancing. It's passive with passive a rebalanced with index. with rebalancing at least once a year. The index is rebalanced based on the underlying factors that they're choosing. Or factor. Equal weighting is a factor, right? So revenue growth is a factor. Or beta, smart beta. It comes from beta. It could be a single factor where an ETF is taking the lowest third of the index. So you have the S&P 500, which has a beta of whatever. It's one, let's say, in this instance. And what they're trying to do is take a, a smaller slice of that and the securities that have a beta of less than one. So there are low vol ETFs, meaning that the, That's a single factor. the volatility is supposed to be lower. Matt was just describing a lower beta approach or a lower volatility approach. But there are more complex products that have been developed out there. WBI launched its first smart beta high dividend uh, ETF uh, last year. year ago, yep. And it's, it's a very factor- weighted index and it's a complex index compared to anything that's ever been out there it rebalances every quarter which means that it's fairly actively rebalanced and but that's it's still a passive product correct it is a passive product it is not a tracks true an index. active product but it's a multi-factor approach to um you know, index creation. And this is where the and, new new product the new product development is, is going, going there. Multi-factor uh, frequent rebalancing to give people a better outcome. The whole idea is to be able to predict in a more reasonable fashion what the outcome 
of this smart beta approach is going to be relative to that symmetrical return profile in either an up or a down market. And now let's talk about the active side of ETFs. Um, you know, WBI has 11 active ETFs, uh, which is is uh, a, a big segment of the active space in general. There's, of, of there's only about 100 active ETFs. Some of them have varying degrees of active. Um, they're more like, uh, you know, multi-factor smart beta, but they're considered active. Uh, they're not really active. But talk to me about really true active and what that means and what that looks like in an ETF. Is it is it just so, as active as a mutual fund or separate accounts? Well, it, it can be, you know, and, and, and certainly WBI's uh, true active ETFs are uh, we manage risk to capital first. And so you can raise we, cash. We're actively managing it every single day. And and are do they follow an index? So there's no index that we follow. We are index agnostic. The fact that we can hold cash, right, breaks breaks that symmetrical breaks, breaks uh, tie the, to the market. Exactly breaks the tie to an index. We could be in a market declining environment, and we up have cash. to up to a hundred percent in cash on a temporary basis. Cash is the way we limit loss, and that's the important thing. So, so in addition to that, WBI has pretty much a, uh, uh, a strict value bias in terms of the way we uh, select securities. It helps us over the long term get really good performance. And so <clears throat> you're not going to compare that to an S&P 500 that is a combination of growth and value, and, and uh, so there's not a real good connection on true active product to an index, which is one of the reasons why um, it's challenging for an advisor or their client to benchmark a true active product. So, <clears throat> so you know, active is, is the next revolution in ETF investing. It's the evolution of investing, so to speak. You bet. Can you imagine having a true active investment management process that is also substantially tax efficient. Unbelievable. The fact that you can do that within inside of an ETF where you cannot do it with a separately managed account, a mutual fund or any other kind of investment is really significant. So that's that, the evolution what, here. You bet. What that does is it helps us daily liquidity, uh, reasonable cost, the and, and uh, you know that ability to have that active management and tax efficiency yeah. all in one wrapper. We were told when we launched that you'd have really wide spreads on true active, because it makes it more difficult for the market major market maker to hedge what's going on if the portfolio. But you don't have to hedge. Changing. You don't have to hedge cash. You don't have to hedge cash. And what we found is we have great market makers that understand our product. And the liquidity of the underlying uh, securities that we have is substantial. And our spreads, right. our spreads are our spreads really are pretty, pretty narrow. Yeah. So anyway, uh, you know, that's our ETF masterclass. Uh, we we really uh, fantastic that you guys uh, come and listen to us here on Bull Bear Radio. If you'd like to learn more about us, WBIinvestments.com is the spot. If you want to follow Don or I, check us out on LinkedIn. Check us out on Twitter. Uh, at WBI CEO, at WBI President. So thank you for listening to Bull Bear Radio. Hey, listen, watch out for that passive trade. It may be the most expensive financial decision you ever make. Words of wisdom from Don Schreiber. Thanks, Chainsaw Don. <laughs>
This is Bull Bear Radio, where each week you can count on our real market news and advice. Catch all of our podcast episodes at WBIinvestments.com. Past performance does not guarantee future results. The views presented are those of the podcast participants and should not be construed as investment advice. Podcast participants or clients of WBI may own stock discussed in this recording. All economic and performance information is historical and not indicative of future results. This is not an offer to buy or sell any security. No security or strategy, including those referred to directly or indirectly in this podcast, is suitable for all accounts or profitable all of the time and there's always a possibility of loss. Moreover, you should not assume that any discussion or information provided here serves as a receipt of or as a substitute for personalized investment advice from WBI or from any other investment professional. To the extent that you have any questions regarding the applicability of any specific issue discussed to your individual situation, please consult with WBI or the professional advisor of your choosing. This information is compiled from sources believed to be reliable. Accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Information pertaining to WBI's advisory operations services and fees is set forth in WBI's disclosure statement in Part 2A of Form ADV, a copy of which is available upon request. <laughs>